The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
there are very real reasons why your prayers are not answered. Do you know what those reasons are? If you want your prayers to be answered, you must make very specific and concrete changes in the way you function with Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I only pray for one reason, to receive answers. For me, it's not a therapeutic process. It's not yoga. It's, it's real. So we need to make those changes. As we begin, let's pray. O Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to understand and to know those specific things that we are doing that blocks the answer to our prayers. Lord, would you enlarge this word? Would you bless it? Would you bring it fully into the hearts of those who are listening? Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, most Christians that I know, and I with them, have often prayed. But when our prayers are not answered, we stop asking prayers that need to be answered in that way. And we just say, well, I don't understand why God's not answering my prayer, but I'll keep praying. So then we moved in the church to praise and worship and sang sentimental love songs to Jesus. But he didn't answer those either. Oh, it creates an emotional atmosphere in the church, and it allows a pastor to function in a way that sometimes appears to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it's not really what we find in Scripture. I have several passages I'd like to read for you, and then we're going to go after the very specific things that we need and want for our prayers to be answered. In James, this fourth chapter, let me begin reading for you. Verse 3, you ask, or that is, you pray, and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly, that in your pleasure you might spend freely. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity or hatred with reference to God? Consequently, whoever may wish to be a friend of the world is made an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwelt in us desires us with jealousy? 
but he gives greater grace. Therefore it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, you must be subject to God, and you must resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have a hard time with that because we don't even know when the devil's around. We've relegated him to a non-space. Oh, we refer to him as an attack of the devil is upon us, but we don't really mean that. So how do you begin to resist him? Verse 8, you must draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You must cleanse your hands, you sinners, and must purify your hearts, you double-minded. You must lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be changed to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You must be humbled before the Lord and he will exalt you. What's clear in this passage of Scripture that there is a cleansing necessary if God is going to answer our prayers. There is a purifying of our hearts that First Peter says comes through obedience to the commands of God. And there is a double-mindedness where we're partly for Jesus and partly for the world, where we kind of live halfway in between. He's saying all of that has to change. This is Pastor James from the New Testament church, and he's saying you have to come into the presence of God and begin to to weep and mourn and sorrow over your condition. That's why I have said this week numerous times, the place to begin is in Matthew, the fifth chapter, and the first Beatitudes before a holy God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who cannot help themselves, who have come to an absolute end of their own ability, and they identify and recognize that that is the place they are in. Now, we do almost anything possible today to avoid being in that kind of place where we have no options, where we recognize we can't go forward. And then the second beatitude, it's it's also difficult. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep over their condition of not being able to do anything. I was I was with some friends last night. And as I was leaving, I was driving out. One of my friends was standing outside. I was parked just a ways away, but would have to drive past them to exit. 
and I didn't want to drive past them. So I sat in the car and waited until they went inside. But what was the issue? Well, the car I'm driving, it belonged to my granddaughter and her parents, and they gave it to me when she no longer needed it. But one day or one night as she was driving, she came too close to a pole that was very close to the road, and she took out the mirror on the right-hand side, and she took out a part of the door. So it's obviously damaged, paint damage, some metal damage. My pride did not want to drive by these friends and let them see that my car was damaged. And this morning, as I was in the presence of the Lord, I began to reflect on that and reflect on how that was a sign of pride in my heart. And I was deeply grieved. I said, Lord, I'll never do that again. I will drive with joy what you have given me to drive. It's strange the way the Lord has the ability to prick our pride and cause it to rise up and then behave differently because of our pride. Too often we don't recognize that pride. Many times I haven't recognized my pride. And the Lord has been leading me through a whole series of experiences over the last several years where I have been absolutely shamed and ashamed. And my pride has been pierced. God is very interested in piercing my pride. He wants it gone. You must be humbled before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's humbling when we come to the Lord and say, you know, I'm at the end of what I can do. I'm in trouble, and I don't know how to change it, and I don't know how to fix it. I don't have any options. Then listen to James, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one being sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he may have committed sins, it will be removed for him. You must admit the transgressions to one another, and you must pray in behalf of one another so that you may be restored. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful, being effective with reference to many things. Elijah was a man like us, and in prayer he prayed that it might not rain, and it rained not upon the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced her fruit. Several things leap out at me from this passage of Scripture. I've been an elder, and I've been with elders when we 
prayed for and anointed the sick, and sometimes we saw improvement in the life of that person. We never saw dramatic healing, although some have. We could not be truly sure that it was the hand of God that had moved or just a natural consequence they got better. And certainly, I've never been with a group of elders who have asked the question, have you committed any sin? And as we pray for you, we are going to pray that your sin will be removed and we are going to stand by faith that your sin has been forgiven and we're going to speak that forgiveness over you. I've never seen that happen. I know some do, but I haven't seen that. And this part about admitting your sins to one another and then praying for one another over those sins, that's very rare. But then it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. I want you to note that. It's talking about a man who is righteous, whose prayer is powerful. Elijah was a man like us, a man of like passions. But he was righteous. And he was so grieved over the condition of Israel, the wickedness of the king, the wickedness of the nation. He was so grieved that he began to cry out to God and say, stop the rain. And finally, God said, go to the court of the king and tell the king it's not going to rain again for three and a half years until I ask the Lord to give it back to us. God heard that prayer, and it did stop raining. But I'd like to speak more about Elijah and prayer. I want to show you something that I've begun to see in the story of Elijah. In the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, we find the story of Elijah after he has had the great victory on Mount Carmel. And Jezebel has said, I'm going to kill you. I'm done with you. I should have killed you earlier. But by tonight, I'm going to have you murdered, assassinated. Well, Elijah is frightened, and he runs for his life. But I want you to see where he runs. It's not so important that he runs. That is all of our response when we are terrified. We run from what we are afraid of. The question is, where do we run? Elijah was afraid, verse 3. This is First Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He's running to the mountain of God. He's running to the Lord. That's so significant. Man, when you come to the end and you know you are going to be killed, and you have no power. 
You run to God. You don't run to the authorities. The authorities want to kill you. You don't run to your family. You don't run back to the widow. You run for God. Listen. He's exhausted. He's been through a very, very difficult time. He's traveled all day in the heat of the day in the desert. And he comes to a broom tree, just a shrub, tall enough to give him some shade. And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. This was his prayer. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep, expecting that he would die. Now he has used his last energy to run for God. And now he says, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'm finished here. But suddenly, instead of dying, an angel came and ministered to him, touched him, woke him up, and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and he lay down again, and he sound asleep again. A second time, the angel of the Lord comes and touches him and says, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, and he was now strengthened by this food. And the word says he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave, and he slept in a cave. But the next morning, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, I've got to stop there. Elijah was in the presence of the Lord. He knew he was in the presence of the Lord. How did he know that? Because he knew the Lord. He was a righteous man. This is Old Covenant. Brother, sister, this is Old Covenant. The New Covenant is much more powerful. But here we have Elijah in the Old Covenant, living in the presence of God. 
Now, please, what do you want? I want to live in the immediate presence of God. Yea, I want something even more than that. I want God to live in me. I want Jesus to actually dwell in me. But do you understand what must happen in your life and in mine for that to occur? This is what Jesus wants. He wants to dwell in you, and he wants you to dwell in him. He wants such intimacy with you, but he can't have it because we are double-minded. He can't have it because we are such citizens of our culture. There are reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers. The reason is very simple. God does not answer our prayers because we are far from him. We are very perhaps religious, but we have not given ourselves fully to seek after the face of Jesus. Oh, we'll seek after the face of Jesus until our favorite television show comes on or our favorite activity is before us, or the phone rings, then we're not so much close to God. Then we want to live in this world. Then we want dinner. Then we want ice cream. Then we want to go for a ride. What if you finally made the decision that what you want more than anything else is you want Jesus, only Jesus. Single-mindedly, you want Jesus. And you want to dwell in his presence. Now, there's a transition that occurs at Mount Horeb for Elijah he knew the presence of God before this. He knew the presence of God would come in response to his prayers. He knew that there were miracles that could be done at the Lord's command. He knew that. But the presence of God was not right there with him. You remember even Elisha, who received a double portion when he was inquired of by the king of Israel and the king of Judah. He had to have someone bring a harp and play music. And as the music was played, the hand of God came upon him. Well, what about the hand of God being on you and never being removed from you? That's what I want. I want the hand of God constantly with me, in me, a part of me, in charge of me. Do you want that? You really want your prayers answered? Then you must have the presence of God with you and in you. Some of you are so far from God that if you got cancer or you became sick, you would die before you could get to God because your life is so full of everything else 
your life is so full of of you and what you want and you pray and you say why isn't God answering my prayers because you're double-minded I know that's where I've lived I don't want to live there anymore asking Jesus to please remove all double-mindedness from my heart and from my soul. Now a change occurs at Mount Horeb. Go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. The Lord is going to pass by. A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak around his face and he went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And very quietly, the Lord asked him again, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he gave his rant, I've been very zealous, Lord, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and anoint Jehu. He gives him directions. Here are the things I want you to do for me. I want you to see God has made a transition with Elijah. Now it's not Elijah praying and ask God, asking God to do things for him. It's now God asking Elijah to do things for him. Does God ask you to do things for him? He's not going to come to you in an earthquake. He's not going to come in a fiery demonstration. He's going to come with a still, small voice. Most of our prayer life is centered around, this is what I need you to do for me, God. Don't you see? Now for Elijah, it changed. And now it's God saying, I want you to go do this for me. This, this is what I need you to do. These are my directions for you. And he says, now, go back the way you came. And then he said, and by the way, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. 
So God is saying, don't, don't get in this thing where you think you're the only one. You're not the only one. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, and he threw his cloak over him. Elijah did what God told him to do. And for the next 20 years, he was about the business of doing exactly what God told him to do. But now, the king sends a message with 50 armed men threatening Elijah and saying, come down if you're the man of God. Come down if you're the man of God. And Elijah says, if I'm the man of God, let fire fall from heaven and consume you. And that's exactly what happened. Fire fell from heaven and consumed 50 men and their captain. It happened a second time. The third time, the captain came and knelt before him and said, Oh, my Lord, let my life be precious to you. And the Lord said to him, Okay, go with him. Now, what I want you to see is that Elijah spent a great deal of time in the prayer closet crying out, asking God to do certain things for him. But at Mount Horeb, that changed. At Mount Horeb, God began to ask him to do things. Now, we find in Scripture some very interesting words about this. I'm going to read it for you. Over here in John, 15th chapter. John 15. If you remain in me, so there was a time when the disciples were in Jesus. The presence of God was right there with them. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Wait a minute. If I ask in my prayer, whatever I wish, but I'm not remaining in Jesus, it will not be answered. Our prayers, please may I say this? Our prayers are not answered because we are not in Jesus. We're in ourselves. And God is distant from us. There has to be a total change. There has to be a Mount Horeb experience where it's not about what we're asking God to do for us. It's what, it's what God is asking us to do for him. <coughs> Pardon me. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to me, be my disciples. So my prayers need to be around the issue of fruit-bearing to honor the Father. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. There is a reason why our prayers are not answered. It is because we have not remained in the love of Jesus Christ. We have not kept his commandments. Now it's of concern to me and of interest to me I've been in theology all my life. Undergraduate degree in theology. Masters of divinity in theology. I've studied scripture and read books. I've never read a book that exhaustively deals with what are the commands of Jesus and how do we keep them. I've never read a book like that. Everything is cheap grace or holiness, but not focused on how do we stay in Jesus? Really, the issue is how do we, how do we get into Jesus? And of course, we know how we get into Jesus. The Beatitudes are very plain about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit you begin to move toward God as you begin to humble your heart before him and you begin to acknowledge that you can't do anything without God. Now that hurts our pride because we want to do on our own what we believe we need to do. The Beatitudes are the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, the one great, I would almost call it uh, Moses' visit to the mountain and received the commands of God. Well, the, the Sermon on the Mount are the commands of Jesus for the new covenant. One pastor I listened to said, you can't live in the, Sermon on the Mount, it's impossible. That will be only for the thousand-year millennium. Not now. We can't do it now. Yes, we can. By the power of the blood of Jesus, we can. If you want your prayers to be answered, you're going to have to live in the Sermon on the Mount. We've given a lot more attention to the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans interpreting it in ways that are counter to the teachings of Jesus. And I can tell you now, the Apostle Paul never taught counter to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It was always his cry and his heart to love and serve and obey Jesus Christ. So what Paul wrote has to be interpreted through the eyes of the Sermon on the Mount and the other teachings found and commands found in the Gospels. So the very beginning of how you come to the Lord Jesus, how you live in Jesus, are the Beatitudes, stair steps, 
blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who have no self-esteem, no self-dependence. They have utterly laid their life down. They see how impossible it is for them to be righteous. They see how impossible it is for them to do of anything valuable for the kingdom of God. They have utterly been humbled before God. And then blessed are those who mourn. You mourn because of your poorness, because of your arrogance, because of your hardness of heart, because of your double-mindedness. The Holy Spirit keeps saying to me, double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. Wanting the way of the flesh and wanting the way of the Spirit. So we pray and our prayers are not answered. Why? Because we are double-minded. We think Jesus is our servant. We give him our list of things we want, our Santa Claus. Give him your Christmas list. And he's supposed to provide all of these things for us. It doesn't work that way. There is a direct correlation between your righteousness and your prayers being answered or not answered. There's a direct correlation between am I here to serve the Almighty God and does my prayer reflect that I am here to serve you, Jesus? Or do I come to the Lord with my prayer expecting that he will serve me I have to tell you the truth I I often hang my head in shame when I hear how people pray and I say that because I've had to hang my head in shame for the way I've prayed out of my double mindedness out of my worldliness, out of my self-dependency. Okay, if God doesn't answer, I have 10 other options I can move to. I'm a cat that always lands on his feet. So if I pray and God doesn't answer, hey, don't worry, I've got another way to cover it. I can make it. I want to tell you today, I'm out of all options. If the Lord does not save me, I will die. If the Lord does not come and move in power, this ministry will be totally ineffective. Either Jesus quickens your heart as you hear these words and you repent and you recognize your double-mindedness, Or the words blow away and they have no impact and nobody watches the video and nobody listens to the broadcast. Nobody donates. Either God moves in it or it's not going to move because I can't move. I'm here to tell you today, I am utterly at the end of Ray Greenley. It's either Jesus or let me die. Does that sound strange to you? 
I have had to utterly release myself from myself to take the crucifixion of Jesus for my own life and say, Lord, I love you. And I am yours. And I lay my life down for you. And if you don't pick it up, I won't be here. If you don't move in power, I won't be here. If I continue on this radio broadcast, you will know it is because Jesus has made it happen, not because Ray Greenlee made it happen. I'm not going to make it happen. I can't. I am totally, 200% dependent upon the Lord. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. After you've wept over your double-mindedness and your worldliness and your attention to your job and everything else, with no attention to what does Jesus want you to do? What does Jesus want you to give? Oh, I can't give that. That's too much. We can't operate in this way anymore. If my money belongs to the Lord, if my time belongs to the Lord, if everything I have belongs to the Lord then I'm here to do his will, not my will. Your will. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven, not my will. I'm so apt to take on responsibilities that Jesus has not given me to take on missions or ministries that Jesus didn't give me. I won't do that anymore. I've drawn a very firm boundary in my life. I will do what the Lord asks me to do and I will hear him as I continue in the prayer closet as I wait before him, as I read his word, he will tell me what to do. Now, be very careful because the devil will come and tell you what to do too. You'll know it's the Lord if, as he speaks, there is peace and joy. Now, it may take some time for you to come through, but as you wait upon him, as you wait upon him, as you pray, he will answer. I am the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So yes, I'm being carefully pruned all the foliage has been cut off I'm pretty bare naked right now 
That's okay. You'll be pruned so that you'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean by the word I've spoken to you. As we hear the word, the Lord speaks to us in the scripture, and then as we obey that word, we're purified. We're cleansed. We're brought into Jesus. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. When Elijah left Mount Horeb, he never again left the presence of God, and the presence of God never again left him. Remember the story of Naboth, the vineyard that Jezebel had this righteous man murdered so her husband, King Ahab, could have it for his garden? And the Lord said to him, Go meet Ahab. This is what he's done. God will come with his assignments to us, with his direction for us, if we abide and wait in him. Our prayers need to be not what I want God to do for me, but what God wants me to do for him. And as I obey those prayers, as I speak those words, as I do those things, I abide in the presence of Jesus as I keep the commands of God. Well, our time is up for today. I hope this has been helpful to you. If it has, write to me. Let me know. Let me have some feedback. Has this been helpful? I was greatly encouraged by a text and a phone conversation saying, we know how to pray better now. I want you to be able to pray and hear God speak and do what he tells you to do. So write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, I also want to invite you to come as the Lord leads you to the worship on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find a map with directions for how to come. Just come to the door, ring the doorbell, come on in. We're a small group, but we're about Jesus. If you're about Jesus, come and enjoy. It's a very intimate time of sharing and the word and prayer. I'd also like to invite you to give online if that's an easier way for you to give. And I thank those of you who have been doing so. I just checked before the broadcast and I saw the name of the person who just gave. Thank you. You can give by going to the right-hand corner of the menu on the top of the page at 
nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on Donate, and a new page will open up called tithe.ly, and it will be for the National Prayer Chapel, and you can give online. Now, our PayPal account is still open and still functional, and if you like giving on PayPal and still have that connection, please just go to PayPal. Some of you give every month, and it goes on PayPal. That's okay. We'll keep both accounts. So please, as the Lord moves in your heart, August is quickly going by, and we're building a fund to be able to pay for the August radio. So if the Lord moves in your heart, and you want to be a part of this outreach ministry, then give as the Lord directs you. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, I plead with you today to move in power, bringing understanding and conviction to every person listening to this broadcast today. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. I encourage you to tune in and I encourage you to pray. Take the devil's hand off your mouth and cry out for America. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.